Hello you awesome beings, welcome to Things I Wish I'd Known. This podcast is a love letter to my younger self of all the things I wish I'd known before I had deep issues with my mental health and my spiritual awakening. I hope you enjoy listening. Why not head to my website and purchase the new Live From Lockdown, seven guided meditations and gong meditations for your listening pleasure. Use the code TIWIK15, T-I-W-I-K 15, to get 15% off now. Hello and welcome to Things I Wish I'd Known. Today I am here with Rachel Cable. Rachel is a mindfulness teacher. She's the published author of the Mindful Kind book and also the host and founder of the podcast with the same name. It's a top rated podcast that's been downloaded over 5 million times and that's how I found her basically. And I was listening to her podcast and I thought I want to get her on my podcast so she can talk to you guys about mindfulness. Rachel's really passionate about empowering people to live more mindfully in the modern world and that is something that's really close to my own heart as well. And she has all the qualifications to back it up, qualifications in psychology, coaching, counseling and meditation. So I'm really excited to be chatting to her today and to bring her knowledge of mindfulness to you guys, our listeners. So welcome, Rachel. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. It's so, so wonderful to be here. Oh, you're so welcome. All the way from Australia as well. So it's quite a strange, right? It's like 9am here and is it about 9pm where you are? 8pm? Yeah, it's 8pm. 8pm. So thank you so much for coming and and joining. So I guess one of the things I wanted to ask a little bit about, because I think a lot of people ask me similar questions and I'd like to see your take on it. What do you see as the differences between psychology, coaching and counselling? Because I think a lot of people get confused about you know, especially between psychology and counselling, a lot of people think it's kind of the same thing. And between counselling and coaching, a lot of people, I think, get confused over what that is. So I'd like to see your your take on the differences or similarities. Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, they're all kind of interconnected in a way. I think there's a lot of crossovers between the three things, but psychology is a huge umbrella term for a lot of different things from all the different mental health disorders and learning about all of those. And it does encompass different types of therapies and coaching and counselling and different types of coaching and counselling as well. So there's a lot of different varieties within those two categories. And then coaching, I think my interpretation of coaching is that it tends to have a bit more of a a positive spin on it, I think. So it's more about looking at ways that we can improve our lifestyle and build goals and work towards living the life that we want to live. And counselling is more about having a supportive space and that non-judgmental listener and a really safe experience to explore things that might go a little bit deeper and be a little bit harder to talk about. So for me, that's kind of how I see those three different things. Psychology is the very broad term that covers a whole lot of different things to do Mm. with mental health. And then you've got the two categories of coaching and counselling, which are similar in a lot of ways, but also there are those differences as well. Yeah, I think that's a really good explanation. Thank you. How did you get into mindfulness and meditation? What was your path to these incredible tools? 
Yeah, so I experienced a lot of stress and anxiety ever since I was a little girl. And so I really felt compelled to understand what I was going through. And it led me down this pathway towards studying psychology at university just because I wanted to understand. I felt like I didn't have any control and I felt like it couldn't be normal what I was going through. And to be honest, I didn't know how I was going to be able to live my entire life feeling the way that I was feeling back then. Mm. So I was really passionate about understanding what was happening and understanding my mind. And I think I just... I just followed my intuition really and my heart and it led me towards psychology and I learned a lot. It was fantastic and I'm passionate about it still today. I love learning about it. I love sharing all the things that I've learned with my community. But mindfulness and meditation, I didn't actually learn very much about it until I was in my second year of psychology at university and I started volunteering on a helpline at the Anxiety Recovery Centre for Victoria and mindfulness was one of the techniques that they actually taught us as helpline volunteers to, to offer to callers to support them and to just share different ideas of managing stress and anxiety. So that was really the first time that I can remember coming across mindfulness and we did a short mindfulness practice. We sat down and noticed five things that we could see, four things we could hear, three things we could feel, two things we could smell, and one thing that we could taste. And it was just such a strange experience for me because I was not all that used to being in the present moment because I was so used to the planning and predicting and stressful thought cycles. And so being in the present moment actually felt a little bit foreign to me. And I think part of that spurred me on to wanting to understand it better and to learn more about it. So then I started doing a lot of my own research. I studied my advanced certificate in guiding and teaching meditation. I started implementing all these different practices myself and really came to understand a lot of different things about it. And yeah, that's really how my journey unfolded and how I ended up where I am today. Amazing. And I think a lot of people in this field, you know, a lot of people I talk to and definitely my journey has been the same, that we've had something that's happened that spurred us on, whether it be through mental health or trauma or something that's essentially forced us to, to go that what's the solution to this, this problem that I have? What do you think mindfulness, what kind of effects has it had on your anxiety specifically, do you feel? There's been a lot of different things that I've noticed. And the first thing really that I started to, I guess it's hard because sometimes it's difficult to measure the impact that mindfulness and meditation has because it's such a long-term thing and the changes that happen can be quite subtle. But the first thing that I really noticed was that I started sleeping better. So at the time I was still in the habit of going to bed at night and that was kind of like my mind's little opportunity to just go crazy and like think about everything I had to do next week or next year and thinking about the past and thinking about my to-do list and just planning everything. And so it was really, really difficult to fall asleep at night mm. and I would often wake up during the night and find it difficult to fall back asleep. And then the other thing that was happening, I was waking up very early before my alarm went off and then lying there, like literally counting down the minutes until I had to get out of bed, just dreading it. So the first thing that I started to really notice was that mindfulness gave me something else to do mm. in that situation. I suddenly felt 
this real sense of empowerment in being able to choose what I wanted to focus on, whether it was a body scan or mindful breathing or tuning into my senses or the comfort of my bed and how grateful I was to be there in this safe space and sometimes rotating between all those different things rather than going down these really stressful spirals and working myself up and finding it really, really difficult to switch off. So that was the first thing that I really noticed. And of course, once you're sleeping better, a lot of other things become easier. So you're less short-tempered in difficult conversations with your loved ones and you're able to focus better at work and you just feel less heavy and less exhausted and less drained and less burned out. So I think sleep was that first real step that just showed me like, wow, this is what it can be like when I feel energized and when I Mm -hmm. feel like I've had enough sleep. And yeah, then I started noticing just all these little different things. Like I was feeling more mindful on the weekends and I was spending less time counting down until I had to go back to work. And when I was at work, I was focused on my work and not thinking about stuff at home. And when I was at home, I was at home and enjoying that. And really just living mindfully showed me that there are so many wonderful moments in my everyday life that I was often missing because I was caught up in my own thoughts. Whether it's something small, like at the moment I'm growing dahlias and they've just started blooming and it's so beautiful. And I go out there every single day and I look at them and I notice the colors and the textures and the shapes. And it's such a small thing, but it's the kind of thing that I never really used to do. So yeah, I don't know, it's hard to put it into words what mindfulness has done for me, but it's just changed so many different things about my life and the way that I live it. Yeah, I think that definitely I resonate with that point of noticing the little things. And when I say that, I don't mean noticing the little things like, oh, I should now be afraid about this and I should now worry about this. But as in, I don't know, like living in a city as well, you know, I live in London and sometimes you can really notice a lot of grime and not not very pleasant things that are going on but actually the more that I practice meditation I would notice things like people you know going up to someone and saying hey you dropped your wallet and giving their wallet back or hey did you know your backpack's undone do you want me to zip it up for you and you know all these other like more kind acts I would notice that I never used to notice and things similar like I'm growing some strawberries (laughs) and they've started flowering which I'm kind of a little bit worried about because I'm like hey guys it's only February here (laughs) but they're apparently like kind of arctic version of a strawberry so I think they quite like the cold but they've started getting these tiny little flowers on them and they look so cute and that is the kind of thing where I probably wouldn't have noticed that when I used to walk past my window but now I'd look out and think, oh, you're doing so well, little guys. <laughs> you know? And it just brings I a bit more feeling. joy. Yeah, oh my yeah God, totally. Sad. I've got all my indoor plants behind me. And like, it's again, it's a little thing, like they've got a new leaf and I'm like, oh, you go little plant. Like, I'm so proud of you. Don't even get me started on plants. I'm total plant mum. <laughs> Literally, my flatmate laughs and she's like, you're, you know, like how people are like crazy cat ladies. You're like a crazy plant lady. <laughs> So, so many and I like look at them and I'm like come on you can do it oh look you've got a new leaf or whatever I get really excited for them when they grow my flatmates like okay babe. <laughs> oh I hear you totally <laughs> so what's one big learning from all your experience of working with mindfulness what do you think's your biggest learning so far I think the biggest thing for me really is learning that I don't have to have the perfect practice 
And that was really difficult for me because I've always been the kind of person that strives for perfection and don't like failure. I don't like mistakes. I don't like flaws. And that's something else I think mindfulness has changed about me. I've become a lot more open-minded to embracing things the way that they are. But for me, this idea of like having the perfect practice with mindfulness made it really, really difficult at the start because it's not the kind of practice that can be done perfectly. It's the kind of practice that changes from day to day and looks different. And it depends on your emotions and where you're at mentally and what's going on in your life. Like, are there any stresses that are happening? Are there life changes happening? And I feel like I put so much pressure on myself at the start to sit down for 20 minutes and not focus on anything else except for that one mindfulness thing that I wanted to be focusing on. And like, oh, I was so frustrated if my mind wandered and it just became this really painful experience and it just wasn't enjoyable. It wasn't fun. I wasn't looking forward to it. It felt like a chore on my to-do list. And honestly, like I would have given up my practice if I wasn't really trying to understand it because I was a volunteering and I wanted to be able to offer it and actually know what I was talking about. Mm. So I really wanted to persevere with my practice for that reason because I kind of felt like it was my responsibility to understand it and to be able to share it with people who could benefit from it. This is actually stuck with it. Yeah, this is actually one of the reasons that I wrote my course because I wrote a course called Meditation Made Simple. And what I was seeing a lot of was this kind of meditation being taught in a way and how I kind of try and describe it to people is, is if you were showing someone how to bake a cake and you said, right, here's all the ingredients and here's how to measure them out and you measure them all out and you've got your, you know, I don't know, a pot of flour and some eggs and whatever and everything's all measured out. And then they go, and here's an iced cake and just do it. And you're like, what? How do you get from all those little bits of things to this beautiful iced cake and you don't get to see the mixing of it or putting it in the oven and watching it rise and knowing when to take it out the oven and then letting it cool before you ice it you know it's kind of like okay so you just sit down and then just be quiet and just be with yourself and just be and it's like yeah but there's so many layers to that and I think a lot of people don't meditate because they think they're doing it wrong or they think that they get so frustrated within their own mind because they can't empty the mind or thoughts keep coming in that they don't realize that that's part of the practice and that means you're doing it right. And so I always say to people, you know, when you get that frustration, just allow the corners of your mouth to rise and remember it's just meditation. No one's going to die. <laughs> you know? and, yeah. and it bring a lightness back to your practice because sometimes it's, you know, especially if things are happening in your life that are, taxing you know you can't control what's going to happen even if you've got a really strong mindfulness or you know any style of meditation practice you can't stop people you love getting ill or passing away or losing your job or you know someone totaling your car you know all that kind of stuff where it just makes it easier to deal with when it comes up but sometimes when you sit with that it's quite difficult to sit especially with certain emotions, you know, that's what I learned with my practice. Um, you mm. know, being able to sit with things like anger, resentment, bitterness, you know, or being able to sit when you're depressed and actually sit with that sadness, you know, that was a real lesson for me to be able to just sit and accept, okay, well, just for today, 
I'm really sad or I'm really angry and this too shall pass. And, you know, being able to actually just sit with that, even if it was for half an hour and, and just keep accepting that's just how it is right now was a really big, you know, that was a really big thing, I think, big learning. And I think a lot of people get to that point where they have something that they can't sit with. And they, so they think because they can't sit with it, it's wrong or whatever. And I think that's something that mindfulness can also teach you is just accepting you know what is in the current moment without judgment and mm. I think that's the the biggest bit is without judgment you know it's like okay so I'm angry but that doesn't mean I'm going to be angry forever I can just accept myself and still love myself even with these emotions that might be less helpful than some of the other ones that I get to experience as well mm. you know yeah and it's so hard like Sitting with emotions that make you feel really vulnerable or that we've been taught are bad or negative emotions, it's hard to give yourself permission to actually feel those. And Mm. I think that was something I really struggled with as well, especially feelings like anger and sadness as well, because yeah, I was taught that they're not pretty emotions. Like they're not fun to experience and they don't look nice to experience. Like they're messy and they're hard and they're vulnerable and sitting with those sorts of things can be really challenging and it is really really difficult and it's definitely not something that I've mastered or might ever master and that's okay like I remember it was about this time last year actually my granddad passed away and it was such a hugely emotional time because my book had literally just come out in Australia and it was, you know, three days after the launch that he passed. And so it was this crazy ride of, I was so excited and so happy and so joyful and so like overwhelmingly positive. And then all of a sudden this sadness just took over, you know, and it was really, really difficult and it was so confusing And it was the day before I had to actually go around a tour of Melbourne and sign my books in different stores. And I just felt like, oh my gosh, I have to give myself the space to feel my grief because Mm. I don't normally do that. And I don't want it to be bottled up inside me. Like I need to let it out in a safe space where I can self-soothe and look after myself so that I can pick myself up and keep going and do the things that I need to do. And I literally, I went to bed, I wrapped myself up in the covers. I just cried. The dogs came in and they were like, are you okay? And I was oh. like, well, they didn't actually ask me that out loud. I could tell. I could tell. You got speaking dogs. That's amazing. <laughs> oh, they were thinking that. And, you know, and they laid down and they cuddled with me. And it was just this really like, it wasn't beautiful. Like the way I'm talking about it, it sounds like it was wonderful or something, but it wasn't. I was red and puffy and crying into my pillow and the sheets were wet and, uh, you know, I was sweating because it was so hot, but I just needed to be wrapped up in this doona. And I don't know, sometimes experiencing emotions like that, it's just raw, but Mm. you need to go there sometimes. And yeah, I completely agree with everything you said about that. Yeah, I think especially in Britain as well. I don't know what the culture's like in Australia in terms of that, but obviously in Britain we have this whole stiff upper lip thing. And mm. I remember being at a funeral of somebody that I was very close to and somebody mentioned to me at the wake, God, you were crying a lot in the service. And I was like, what? <laughs> it's a funeral. Like, what do you want me to do? Be like, oh, yay. Like, it's okay. And I thought, I'm not suppressing my sadness for your benefit so you can feel more comfortable. Like, 
I'm devastated mm. this person's died. And to be honest, I want to cry it out so that this, whatever's here, doesn't turn into some kind of dis-ease later in my life where I've not processed the emotion and it turns into something else, you know. And I think it's really interesting just how people, I don't know, almost have this like scale of like how sad you're allowed to be depending on how close you were in proximity to that person or how long you're allowed to grieve for like well you can be sad at the funeral don't cry too much but you know show that you're sad and then a couple of days after that you really need to be getting back to work and getting on with things and I'm like we're human beings it doesn't work like that and everybody's you know capacity for feeling and for processing is going to be different and I think that's going to be such a beautiful space in the world when more you know I'm seeing this brilliant now with so many people taking up mindfulness and meditation and different practices you know whatever that practice is for you that work for them that allow them to start to tune in and to to process things you know in the moment and I think it will be interesting to see what correlation that actually has with people and their mental health and, and physical health in years to come as these practices are taken on more and more I'm seeing a lot more in schools and you know prisons all kinds of places that are now taking on these practices and I think it will be interesting in you know 10 20 30 years time to see what effect that has on public health. Mm. I think it's just so wonderful to see people learning the skill like even if they don't necessarily use it every day or even ever have to use it you know, to actually have it because I felt like I never really had those skills. Like mindfulness was new to me as I think I was 19 when I first learned about it. And I had no idea what it was. I had no idea how to practice it. I wasn't using it. I didn't have a meditation practice either. And, you know, it's no one's fault or anything, but I'm excited to see that it's becoming a bit more the norm now. Like it's funny because I started my podcast nearly four and a half years ago now. And I would say to people, you know, that ask me what I do and I'd say, I've got a podcast about mindfulness. And they're like, well, you know, first of all, what's a podcast? And <laughs> second of all, what's mindfulness? And I'd have to explain it. Whereas now I'm like, oh, I've got a podcast about mindfulness and I'm ready to tell them what it is. And they're like, oh, cool. I'll check it out. Like, what's it called? And I'm yeah. like, oh, cool. like, people really are starting to understand more. And I think I was really lucky in that I was studying psychology and I was in that field and I just kind of happened to come across it and started to learn it and everything. But mm. yeah, I don't know. I'm really excited to see how it continues to unfold as well. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting and especially with technology. Like I do this gratitude practice with my friend every day. It's really beautiful. We send each other three messages, voice notes each morning and it's today I'm grateful for is the first one. And then the second one is our day as if it's already happened and it's been amazing. And then the third one is our day in the future. So, you know, it can be anywhere, like you could be 50 or you could be, you know, it could be on Friday or whatever. Well, we are on Friday, but you know, <laughs> Sorry. Saturday or whatever. And it just allows you, I think, to really realize. I remember when we first started the practice a while back now and you'd be like, oh, I'm grateful for this. I'm grateful for that. And now it's like, oh my God, I'm reeling off. Like, all these things and one of the things I'm always grateful for is technology because I think you know through the podcast through my Instagram through all these different platforms that we have we're able to share these tools and you know 
that's kind of how I got into all this as well. Was, you know, I was ill in bed and I just started looking on YouTube, like how to cure depression or alternative ways or whatever. And it was like, oh, you know, and I came across all these weird and wonderful methods and thought, nah, you know, give it a whirl. And I just think, wow, we're so lucky that we live in a time where we have these platforms mm-hmm. and it's cost effective and we can just share these tools and share these messages with people. Yeah, definitely. It's funny because I know you mentioned before you're doing, you've got a course called Meditation Made Simple. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and I'm about to launch a course. It's called Mindfulness Made Easy. And I was no like, way. Oh, Rachel and Rachel, like we're just on similar wavelengths. And but... it's totally spelt the same. I was thinking that. I was like, I very rarely I meet a Rachel where it's spelt the same way that I spell it. <laughs> <laughs> Love How it. How funny is that? I know. I hardly ever see the spelling that way as well, but... I totally agree. Like I love that we can get information and then we can interpret it and put our own twist on it and then put it out in the world and people can access it and more and more people are just growing in all this knowledge. And I think that's wonderful. And I love learning from podcasts as well. Like there's heaps of different podcasts that I really enjoy listening to and books. And it's just amazing like that we can go out there and just learn the stuff that we want to learn and I just love it. Like I just recently, yesterday, I released a podcast episode about anti-fragility and it was this this term that I just happened to come across as I was reading some research last week. And I was like, oh, anti-fragility. I've never heard of that before. Like, Mm. let me look it up. And I started reading about it and I was like, oh, wow, this is really cool and really interesting. And so anti-fragility is like your ability to grow and thrive in the face of some kind of challenge or mistake or failure. I love that. Yeah. And so it's kind of like resilience or robustness, but that little step further, like that robustness is about being able to face challenges and changes and being strong through it and and everything. Whereas anti-fragility kind of takes it that step further. And I was like, oh, I love this concept. And like, what do I think about it? How do I interpret it into my own way? And how do I apply it in my own life? And then I just go and share it on my podcast. Like I love the flexibility of it and to be passionate about it and to be able to be creative about the things that I'm learning and to share it with my audience. Like it's just such a gift. Oh, it so is. I feel totally the same. I get so inspired by different things that I read or that I see. And then it's like, oh my God, what does that mean? And I might meditate on it for a few days and then, you know, see like what I think about it, what different spin I can put on it or how I might be able to deliver that in a clearer way. I was going to ask you about the podcast and the books, because I think it's always nice for people to have a little what do you listen? So which podcasts you were mentioning you you love listening to and books that you read? So I guess what's your top three if you had to pick? Oh, my top three. Okay. My top three podcasts at the moment, I'm listening to lots of different business type podcasts just because that's an area that I really need to learn more about. So Jenna Kutcher has an awesome podcast called The Gold Diggers and Amy Porterfield has an awesome podcast called Online Marketing Made Easy. And probably my third favorite podcast, if I really had to choose, oh, it's tough because there's so many. There's so many good ones, isn't there? There's so many good ones. I really, really love Simply Complicated by Katie Dean. She's just got such a like a vulnerable openness about her. And I love just listening to how she talks with people. And I don't know, she's just got this really, such a good vibe. So mm. they're always a really nice one to listen to. What about books? What are you reading oh, yeah, at books. the moment? Oh gosh. Again, there's so many. I mean, my first ever like real personal development book that I really resonated with was The Happiness Trap by Dr. Russ Harris. 
loved it. There's so many little tips from there that I still use today. It was fantastic. And my top read for last year was Lost Connections by Johan Hari. And then oh, probably my third one would be maybe Attached by, I think it's Dr. Amia Levine and Rachel Heller. I really, really loved that book because I have struggled a lot with relationships over the years because I have a very anxious attachment type. Mm. And so learning more about that and how to become a more secure person in my relationships was just a really big thing for me and made a big difference in my life. So that's probably got to be my third choice. But there's so many like Slow by Brooke McCallery is a really, really beautiful book and The Life Plan by Shanna Kennedy. Oh, there's so many good books. I'm like, mm. <laughs> I just love them. Yeah, I'm the same. I'm an avid reader. But my f- <laughs> sometimes when my friends come around, they're like, all your books are like about psychology and trauma. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I know. It's so cool. <laughs> like energy work or, you know, all these kind of weird and wonderful quantum healing methods and stuff like that. And I'm just like, I love it. That's all I want to read. They're like, don't you ever just read, I don't know, some, you know, like fiction, some kind of like fun, light reading. And I'm like, no, it doesn't interest me at all. (laughs) I just like that. I like reading about all this stuff. I feel It's almost like I feel like I'm, I don't know if you've ever seen that movie Short Circuit. It's like a kid's movie. It was really popular in the UK in, it must oh, have been like the 80s robots? or early 90s. Yeah, and it was about this yeah. robot. And then there's this, a scene in it where he's just reading all these books and he's going, more input, more input, more input. <laughs> and he can like read a book in about like, I don't know, 30 seconds or something, like cover to cover. And I'm like, damn it, oh, I wish I was that robot. <laughs> I want to be able to absorb all this knowledge and then just be able to like share it back out into the world. and more digestible form for people you know I love that yeah that's an awesome I haven't seen that movie in years and years oh my gosh might have to like dig it out I'm sure it's on Netflix or something other streaming platforms are available (laughs) so what advice would you give to your younger self based on what you kind of know now Hmm. I wish that I'd learned about self-care and self-soothing quite a lot earlier because it's something that I really have struggled to implement over my life. And I think self-soothing in particular, I feel like I always looked to other people or other things to try and like fix myself. Mm. And I say fix with like inverted commas because, you know, I wasn't broken. I just felt like I was. But I turned to all these external things to for support and to get through things when it could have been me. Like I feel so much more supported and nourished now that I have self-care practices, whether it's, you know, doing in yoga on my lounge room floor or going for a mindful walk in nature or meditating or spending quality time with family and friends without the distraction of technology and Mm -hmm. with the self-soothing, like placing a hand over my chest and just like feeling that breath moving in and out of my body and slowing down and allowing myself the space to acknowledge how I'm feeling and to just let myself sit with that for a little bit before I decide how to move forward. Like there's just so many little things that I feel are so empowering to use in my everyday life. And I never used to use them because I, yeah, I I guess I gave that power away to other people and I tried to look for the answers from everything else because I felt like I didn't know. And yeah, so I love self-care and I talk about self-care a lot. 
and not just, you know, the meditation and the yoga sides of it, but also the physical sides, like eating well and working out in ways that feel fun and that energize you and that lift you up and getting enough sleep and all those really physical sides of it as well. So Mm. yeah, I think self-care is important. I think there's quite a culture at the moment of, you know, people talking about hashtag self-care and it's like, you know, maybe having a turmeric latte could be self-care, but also there's a lot more to it than that. And I agree, like some self-care stuff, I hate to say it, but it's pretty boring. Like for me, you know, self-care is going to therapy or, you know, sometimes saying no to your friends and staying in and having a hot bath, even though partly you would want to go out, but you know that you're at, your battery levels are so low that that's going to be detrimental and you really should get an early night. And similar, like eating healthily, you know, the links between gut health and mental health now are really starting to be shown through new research. And I'm a great believer in that. I know when I take certain supplements that support my gut health, my mental health is you know, improved dramatically. And I think, you know, there needs to be, I don't know what needs to be put in place, but I think like you say about empowering people, and this is something with Welford Wellbeing I'm just so passionate about is that, you know, a lot of people I think don't realize that how much power they have over their own health in general, whether whether that's physical health or mental health. Um, We, especially in the West, are handing that power over to doctors all the time and feeling like, well, we can't do anything about it. And as long as I follow the doctor's orders, then I'm correct. And I think there are situations where that is the right thing to do. But also nine times out of 10, as well as the help from your GP or your doctor, there's a lot of other things that you could be doing to support your own healing. And I think that is really empowering place to be in when you realize and wake up to that. Yeah, definitely. And I completely agree. I think sometimes there's no easy, simple solution. Sometimes it really is using a variety of different things and working closely with mental health or physical health professionals, but also going to the effort. And I wrote about this a lot in my book, actually, is that self-care is a responsibility. Sometimes it's not taking the easy option. Like I'm just going to chill and watch Netflix and zone out and distract myself and not feel the feelings that I know I need to feel. Sometimes it's doing the things like getting up an hour earlier in the morning, even though you're tired, but so you've got that time to yourself to actually feel those things and process and journal or meditate or go for a walk or, you know, do these things that are really good for you and that you know are good for you and that you'll feel better after you've done them. You know, sometimes it is about putting in the effort to do them and it's hard, I know, sometimes too, because if you're depressed or if you're anxious and stressed, it's almost like the things that are really good for you to do are sometimes the hardest things to do. Like I used to drink a lot of alcohol to try and numb my feelings and it was easy in that moment to drink and to just forget, but I felt awful the next day and those feelings just kept bottling up and then eventually I'd have a bit of a breakdown, honestly. Like I would lash out at my partner I'd be crying and it would just kind of, it would seem like it came out of nowhere because I'd just been bottling it up for so long that eventually I'd just snap and it had to come out. Mm. So yeah, I don't know. I think self-care can look very, very different for a lot of people. And I think that's why it's complicated too, because there is no formula, you know, you have to kind of experiment and figure it out for yourself. And I think that's something that meditation definitely gave me was this heightened self-awareness 
And I think once you've got that heightened self-awareness, you're like, oh, that doesn't feel so good when I do that. And Mm -hmm. then, you know, as you practice more, you begin to love yourself more. And then you start to notice like, oh, when I do these behaviors, it makes me feel bad. Why am I doing things that make me feel bad? (laughs) You know, it's like, oh, hang on. And I was the same, you know, for many years, I was a real party animal. And I'm not saying that I didn't have fun. I had a lot of fun, but I was definitely masking an underlying unresolved anger issue and an underlying sadness around lots of different things that had built up over, you know, probably 20 years of my life that I'd never dealt with a number of different situations that, you know, I just dealt with them how I was taught. And I think that's what a lot of people do. You know, you you go out and get drunk and forget about it, or you maybe offload to a friend one time and then you're like, well, I need to get over it. It's done. I'll just forget about it. But the body doesn't forget. And I think Mm -hmm. once we start to realize the emotions are the language of the body, and that they're not good or bad. They're just messengers and they're just telling us, you know, often anger's not a bad emotion at all. It's just telling us someone breached your boundary, dude. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And unless you tell them, they're going to keep breaching that boundary and you're just going to keep getting more and more angry. But because we don't express the anger, we don't want people to think that we're annoyed with them or upset with them or that they did something that upset us because we don't want to make them feel bad we end up making ourselves feel bad and we get in this perpetual thing, you know, perpetual loop of them doing this thing and us not saying anything and them doing the thing again and them being blissfully unaware that it's upsetting us until one day, like you say, it's like, oh my God, (laughs) you do this thing! And you like totally, you know, lose it and the other person's like, what? (laughs) You know, I think it's fascinating how just having a very simple practice of learning to understand yourself more and where your boundaries lie and what you like and what you don't like enables you to just have such better relationships with other people because you're able to be more honest. Mm. And I don't know if you ever had this because I was talking to somebody that suffers quite badly with anxiety recently and he was asking about, you know, what I'm trying to remember his question now, but basically it was something around like, what was the difference since the anxiety was gone? And I said, I just feel I'm able to connect with people better because I'm not afraid of being found out. And I used to Mm. always have this like fear of if people knew like who I really was like underneath that they would like not like me and I would be like caught out and people would know like how awful, I mean, and this just goes to show I wasn't really any different to how I am now. I was still a very kind and compassionate, loving person, but I just thought that I was awful. And he was like, oh my God, that's exactly how I feel as well. And I think there's an element of anxiety potentially, you know, that that is the kind of core of a lot of people's anxiety is if people really knew what I was like or how I thought they wouldn't. I don't know if you ever experienced that with your anxiety as well. Yeah, definitely. I think there's a lot of isolation that Mm. I felt throughout my anxiety and I became very, very good at putting up a mask and pretending like everything was fine and I didn't talk to anybody. I didn't tell anyone in my family. I went through a number of long-term relationships and I never fully shared that side of myself. I think I did have an experience. I would have been in year seven, I think, so about 12 years old or 13 years old. and. 
it was when I was starting to really struggle with stress and anxiety and depression as well. And I was so down on myself and I didn't know what else to do, but I had two quite close friends at the time and I started writing letters. I started expressing myself through my writing and telling them how I felt and what I was thinking and how lost and confused I was. And I completely understand it. But at the time it was really, really difficult because they didn't know how to handle it. And they told me to stop feeling like that and to stop saying those things. And it's absolutely not their fault because they were young Mm. too and they would have had no idea like how to deal with something like that. But for me, it just felt like such a rejection at Mm. such a fragile time because I was trying to be honest for the first time with people and share something that I felt really ashamed of. Yeah. And to get that, you know, don't talk about it. It Mm. was very isolating. And I think that was when I started to learn to pretend. Yeah. And I think that is, you know, I think everyone would have a story of that, you know, and based in something from childhood where they've had an experience like that and it's made them want to shut down or made them feel that for whatever reason, those feelings aren't welcome. And Mm. this is one thing definitely through my work, especially the work that I do with group work and workshops and retreats and stuff. It's like all emotions are welcome. We had had quite a funny experience recently with that, actually. And there was we were doing a cacao ceremony and it was really beautiful. And we were doing some om chanting and one of the people there started to giggle a little bit and I just thought it was really fun, actually. I was like, oh, you know, I wonder what's going on for them. And then obviously it was a little bit like domino effect, you know, because this person had a really infectious giggle. And so a couple of other people, you know, were sort of, and everyone was trying to continue, but it was kind of like, oh, you know, like this. And I was thinking, oh my God, don't, whatever you do, don't, you need to keep your composure, you know, because if you lose it, everyone's going everyone's gonna to go, the whole group, you know. And so we continued and I just thought, okay, I'll just keep my composure and I'll just keep the rhythm going with them. And at the end, this person was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I don't know what happened. And I was like, it's totally cool. And I explained and I, you know, they were so worried that I was going to be angry or upset that they'd, you know, and they were worried that they'd kind of like ruin the experience. And I was like, you can never ruin an experience because the experience is what the experience is. And for whatever reason, that needed to be expressed at that time. And I'm actually really happy that you felt comfortable, that you didn't just hold it in and sit there quietly holding your breath or whatever, that you actually felt able to express that laugh because for whatever reason, that needed to come through you in that moment. And I thought it was, you know, great that you could just express yourself and be free to express yourself. And I just want everyone to know that any emotion in this space, you know, you might find now when we do the gong that actually a different emotion comes out because often we use laughter as a coping mechanism and that's also okay. Or it might be just that you thought it was a bit funny in that moment because you've not really done chanting before and it, you know, it can feel a bit awkward or it can feel a bit uncomfortable for people when they try something new and that's equally okay. And she was just like, oh, oh, okay, cool. Thanks. You know, and I thought it just, it's all right to express yourself. That's what these spaces we create are for, right? You know? And I think also like, probably old me would have been annoyed. Mm -hmm. She probably would have thought, oh, you know, you ruined it. It was supposed to be this 
spiritual experience or whatever and through meditation and everything else I'm just like nah cool you know it is what it is and actually it just allows you that that space and to give other people space for their emotions as well mm, I love that that's such a cool experience it was it was lovely so I'm just aware of time you know what do you wish that you'd known what is the one thing you wish you'd known before you knew all this amazing stuff around psychology and meditation and mindfulness, counselling? I wish that I'd known that it was all right to ask for help and to talk about it. I do feel like I kept things bottled up for a really long time and I hid a lot of myself away from people and I missed out on genuine connections for quite a while. And mm. But at the same time, like I love that now I get to experience that. Like I have such a deep relationship with my friends and my partner and more and more my family. Like I feel like I'm actually becoming more myself and I'm not afraid to be who I am. And it's such a free feeling. I don't know. It's just I wish I hadn't been so afraid to share myself before and just to, yeah, be able to communicate and be honest and be in the moment and enjoy laughter and laugh at myself. Like, you know, I used to take things so seriously and I don't know, I think now it's just a lot easier to go with the flow a little bit and to express things and to work through things and not to get hung up on things that have happened in the past too much. And yeah, I don't know. It's like a, a whole mix of different, <laughs> different things. Oh, I but. love that. I totally agree. I think that's really beautiful. And definitely something that I've found as well that that connection I feel like the more connected you become to yourself the more connected you're able to be with with other people as well yes yes that's what I was <laughs> trying that's to put into words thank you that's that was what perfect I, no that's what I heard when you were saying that so anything else you want to add anything you know that I should have asked you that I didn't or anything you want to want to share I don't think there's anything that I wish that you'd ask me I feel like it's been such a fun conversation and I've loved going a bit deeper into all these different topics and if anyone would like to find out more about me you know just come over to my website at rachelcable.com I've got all my podcasts there my meditation albums my book my articles like everything's there and my book actually just came out recently in the UK uh, oh, yesterday I think or the day before it got amazing in the UK so yeah oh, great. make sure now. you go grab a copy everyone yeah it's beautiful and I just really love the way you put everything across you know when I heard you on your podcast I was just so like I really want to get this lady to come and talk to my audience I just think you're just so open and honest in the way that you talk about stuff and I think it's really refreshing so thank you so much for joining and sharing and um, there'll be links below for everyone so if you want to go and find Rachel on her website or via her Instagram check out her podcast or her book and everything I'll make sure all the links are included in the resources so make sure you go and check that out and we will see you again next week thank you so much for listening and thank you for joining Thank you so much for having me. Bye, guys. If you enjoyed listening, why not leave us a review? It really does help other people to find this podcast and enjoy it too. Feel free to share it with friends and family members that you think it might be useful to. Thanks so much for listening. See you next time.